I've got some celebrations as we get started uh, this morning. Um, it is the, the season of giving, as oftentimes gifts are exchanged between family and friends, and, and uh, to celebrate the gift that God gave to us. That's where all that tradition is rooted. And in the, uh, the last couple of weeks, we've given you some opportunities to give, and uh, we've been just overwhelmed with, with the outpouring of love. Um, we took a picture of the gifts that were given for the angel tree before we took those over, and uh, just we were overwhelmed. The, the staff at Cleveland was overwhelmed. Uh, they wrote us a note that just says, I can't begin to tell you how thankful our staff was for the gifts you all provided. I've included a picture of a very happy and excited kindergarten teacher and gym teacher. Uh, we are so excited to put all the wonderful supplies to great use in the new year. God bless and Merry Christmas. That's from the guidance counselor, Amanda Stever, over at uh, Cleveland. And, and our own uh, Kelly Ronke is, uh, is a teacher there as well and, and echoed the, that sentiment. Um, but in addition to that, our Seniors on the Go ministry um, also put together a, a collection of gifts and donations for the Union Gospel Mission and had every bit as much of an outpouring. Um, over 400 pounds of meat were able to be provided uh, to the Rescue Mission. $240 was given for milk, uh, which will buy about 100 gallons of milk for the Rescue Mission, as well as, as a whole cart full of food and clothing items and personal items and winter gear. And uh, that's on top of the staff love gift. Um, so we just want to thank you and celebrate you for being such a wonderful and giving congregation. We talk about being uh, intentionally focused, as Pastor Zach said, on reaching people for Christ. And this is a great example, these two um, fund drives and, and collections uh, at reaching people for Christ. Um, and we talk about caring for each other and intentionally being the hands and feet of Christ to those in need, both in our congregation and outside of our congregation. So celebrate uh, the giving and the generosity of our congregation. It's just been wonderful. Great testimony to our community and to our partnership with Cleveland and with Union Gospel Mission. I also uh, came across a story that fits really well with our series and especially with this message today. Uh, I saw it online. It was titled, um, I'm so thankful if I hadn't had the Bible app that day. That's the way the story is titled. And uh, this was the paragraph that went with it. It said, things were not going good in my marriage. I was on a downward spiral at the beginning of an emotional affair. I had gathered the courage to send him the text, the one that would change our relationship from friends to lines being crossed. I was terrified as I was typing what I knew might end my marriage. But then the Holy Spirit showed that he was fighting for me. The word temptation flashed before my eyes. I didn't know what to do, so I pulled out my phone and went to my YouVersion Bible app and typed the word temptation into the search field. As I read every verse the app showed me, tears began to fall. I called on Jesus' name, and the devil, devil fled. I erased that text and ended the conversation. And if I had not had the Bible app that day, I don't know what would have happened. And I share that with you because I, I think it highlights, we, we emphasize the Word of God being a part of our daily lives, being a part of our day-by-day 
existence, that we spend time and that we are centered on God's Word. And as I read that, I was reminded of, of something I had just heard about two weeks ago, that this Version Bible app, which is just one of many, um, but it's probably the, the most popular, they've reported a 30% increase in the last 12 months in Bible content being consumed. Because the app can, can tell how many you know, chapters people read and how much time they spend and, and how many downloads there are, they've seen a 30% increase. And they reported that just in the last 12 months, 5.6 billion chapters of Scripture were listened to and 35.6 billion chapters of Scripture were read. Around 478 million Bible verses were shared from the app to social media, about 350 of them were mine, and, uh, and 1.1 million Bible plan days were completed. To date, over 400 million people have installed the app on a device across the globe, and 50 million unique downloads were added just this year. You add to that that our friends at Crossroads mentioned this past week that they're selling more Bibles than they had expected to, more Bibles than usual this time of year, that people are giving paper cover copies of God's Word as well. And I, I think this will make a little more sense when we get into the heart of the message, but I share that with you to be encouraged that people are reading God's Word. Globally, there seems to be an increase or an uptick in the way that people are interacting with Scripture, and things like social media are making it easier to share Scripture. It used to be if you wanted to share a Scripture with a hundred people, you had to, you know, cut things out and send it in the mail. Well, now you can post it on your Facebook wall, and people will see that and be encouraged and be strengthened uh, by that. So uh, today we are continuing our series, God With Us, Focusing on this word, Emmanuel, that literally means God is with us. That was a comfort to the people of Israel in the Old Testament as they were awaiting the Messiah. They knew that God was with them in spirit, but they also knew at some point in time that a Savior would come, a Messiah would come, that God would literally be with them in the person of the Messiah. And so we've looked at the prophecy from Isaiah that deals with this, starting in verse uh, 14 of chapter 7, the, the prophecy foretelling that Emmanuel, God, would come, the virgin would be with birth and would bring forth a son, and that he would be named Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And then we've looked at chapter 9, uh, starting with verse 2, that the light would shine in the darkness, that, that God would put his light into the world, come into the darkness, this dark and broken world in the person of Jesus Christ, and illuminate that from within. And that the same thing happens in our own lives as his light comes into our hearts and illuminates our lives, and we become light bearers, and we take that light to a lost and dark and broken world. Then last week we we asked the question, what do you need? We looked at verse 6, where Jesus, this coming Messiah, is described with four different names, that he's a wonderful counselor, he is a prince of peace, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and that in those four titles, all the needs that the human heart can have can be met, that our eternity can be taken care of, that our need for peace can be satisfied, that he can give us wisdom and guidance for the decisions that we need to to make, and that he can be our mighty God, our sovereign king. And today, we're going to focus on the coming kingdom 
of the Messiah, the coming kingdom of the Messiah. That when Jesus walked on earth in the Gospels, especially if you start in Matthew, you see that the central message that he had was that the kingdom of heaven had come, it was at hand, it was available to us here and now. And he says that over and over in the book of Matthew, over 40 times do we hear something that Jesus says in regards to teaching about the kingdom. And it appears in each of the Gospels that this was the central message. The good news was that the kingdom had come. And this is also rooted in the prophecy from Isaiah. If you turn to Isaiah chapter 9, it's on page 1072 in the blue hardcover Bibles. Uh, We're going to camp out there. We'll start in verse 6 where we looked at last week, um, and then we'll get into verse 7 where it really fleshes out this kingdom, the prophecy of the kingdom that was to come. And so if we read verse 6, we hear the familiar words, "...for to us a child is born, to us a son is given." And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It's a prophecy about a kingdom that is coming, and you see it, glimpse of it in verse 6, where this child that is to be born, this son that is to be given, we talked about that last week, representing the divinity of Christ and the humanity of Christ. This child will be born of a woman. That's the fully human nature of Christ, this son, capital S, son, son of God, to be given as a gift from God to mankind representing the full divinity of Christ. And we looked at how Hebrews 1.3 tells us that this Son is the exact representation of His glory, the fullness radiating that glory of God through the person of Jesus Christ. But there in verse 6, we see a reference that the government will be on His shoulders, that this King, the King of this government that will be established, this coming kingdom will be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace. That's the king. This is the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. So we're going to spend the majority of our time in verse 7, where we're told that of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. That is good news. Think about what is being stated in that short phrase. And as you think about it, we have to understand that government is not just a political designation. That government as it is used in Scripture, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, is speaking about authority. It's speaking about rule. It's speaking about dominion. So of the authority and rule and dominion of his peace, peace being that Hebrew word shalom, which represents completeness and wholeness and welfare and harmony, we see this beautiful picture being painted that there will be no end to the increase of his government, his rule, his authority, his dominion, his royal power in establishing and upholding the peace that is available to us, the shalom, the wholeness, completeness, the welfare, the harmony 
that is available to us. This, this is good news. You see, Jesus announced his kingdom 2,000 years ago, and the prophecy states that from that time until now, the increase of its government, its rule, its authority, has never stopped expanding. Do you realize that? There were no starts and stops. There's no ebb and flow in the increase of his government and peace. It doesn't say that his government and peace will exist for all that time, but that it will increase, that his government and peace will increase from that time on and forever. That's why I shared the good news about Bible engagement and and the way that people are coming to Scripture and the way that people are sharing God's Word is increasing, that, that these things that maybe the enemy meant for evil, God is using for good with social media platforms and, and with opportunities to share God's Word and, and with people engaging more in Scripture. That's one example of his government and peace, not just existing, but increasing forever. Now, you don't have to spend a lot of time digging to find articles that say how Christianity is dying in America, how it's died in Europe and we're following suit, and and it doesn't feel like his government and peace is increasing moment by moment here. But I tell you, if you go to China, if you go to India, if you go to Latin America, you will see the gospel flourishing. You will see the increase of his government and peace in unfathomable ways. So globally, even if Europe has seen a decline, even if there are indicators that the United States is seeing a decline. Globally, his government and peace is still increasing. They estimate over two and a half billion people naming the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior. That number has been increasing. And I would submit to you that the transmission has never changed, but the reception changes, doesn't it? The transmission of his government and peace from heaven has not changed in Europe or in America, but the reception has. And the transmission has been going out all along, but as, as messengers of the gospel, as missionaries, as, as people have, have taken up the responsibility of sharing the good news in these places like India and China and Latin America, the reception has grown. Kind of like a radio that's not plugged in or turned on. The signal is there all the time. But if you don't turn the radio on, there's no noise that comes out. As soon as you turn the radio on, it can receive. And so I would submit to you that much of our problem in America and in Europe is not an absence of God's good news being sent forth, not an absence of his government and peace being transmitted from heaven to earth. It has to do with the reception. And so when the English Standard Version uh, Study Bible tells me in this verse, it interprets this verse saying, the empire of grace will forever expand and every moment will be better than the last. I would say the absence of that being a reality in our personal lives and our corporate life has to do not with the transmission, but with the reception. I'll read that again. The empire of grace, grace being the divine favor of God, the empire of grace will forever expand and every moment will be better than the last. That's what it means to be in the kingdom of heaven. 
We're told that the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. It's not up to us. <laughs> it's up to him. He will accomplish this, and he will establish and uphold it. Think about that phrase for a second. And if you were here last week, we talked about this idea when we looked at the everlasting Father, that it's really the Abba of eternity. That's how that word picture breaks down, the Abba being the Hebrew word for Father, meaning source and sustainer, source and and sustainer, that your earthly father in, in this cultural setting was your source, literally, of life in the physical dimension, and sustainer, the provider, the one that protected and provided, was the father in the family unit. And so when we talk about God and the zeal of the Lord establishing and upholding, establishing is source, upholding is sustaining. So he is the source and sustainer of the kingdom of God. He is the source and the sustainer of our peace. He's the source and sustainer of the kingdom of God's peace. And he's upholding it with justice and righteousness, not human justice and human righteousness, which is so fickle and subjective, but divine justice and divine righteousness. That Jesus came, we're told in John 1.14, he came and made his dwelling among us. That's why we say God is with us. He made his dwelling among us, full of grace and truth. That's the justice and the righteousness and the grace of God all mingled into the person of Jesus Christ. So it is not a human justice and a human righteousness which may ebb and flow, which may go up and down, which may be subjective. It is divine justice. It is divine righteousness that is establishing and upholding, that is the source and the sustaining force of the kingdom of God. That's why the prophet can say with confidence that the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Not that it will try, and maybe it will happen, maybe it won't, but that it will happen. That God is the source and the sustainer and his divine justice and righteousness is making it happen. One theologian in the 1500s wrote it this way. He said, there is more mercy in Jesus than there is sin in us. There is more mercy in the person of Jesus than there is sin in us. That is how we can be sure that the that the rule and reign of his government and peace will increase now and forever because it is inexhaustible. His mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, they are inexhaustible. There is more mercy in Jesus than there is sin in us. We will not run out. We will not exhaust it. And this is good news. All of it. And it's all true. It's good news to the outsider and it's good news for the insiders. It's good news for those who are far away. And it is good news for those who are near. The good news is that the kingdom has come. That's our bottom line today. It's a question. The kingdom has come to you. Have you come in to the kingdom? The kingdom has come to you. Have you come in to the kingdom? The question is, is his government, his rule, his dominion, is his peace, his wholeness, his welfare, is it ever expanding in your life and through your life? I can look at many seasons of my life and feel an ebb 
and flow. I've mentioned that phrase a couple of times, that sometimes it feels like the tide of God's government and peace, his rule, the kingdom is, is flowing into my life, and other times it feels like it's retreating from my life. And what I've come to be very convinced of is that the transmission is always the same. The extension of his government and peace does not ebb and flow. It's constant. My reception of it has come and gone at various times. About two and a half years ago, I, I sort of fell apart a little bit. It wasn't pretty. And yet from that point forward, I can say that the increase of his government and peace has not ended. It has been continuous because the recept- something about the reception changed. And I believe that's available to each and every one of us. I believe that the empire of grace can forever expand in our own lives, that every moment can be better than the last. It doesn't mean that we won't have trials. In fact, he promised just the opposite. He said, in this world you will have troubles, but take heart in that moment. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world, this world that is temporary, this world that is fleeting, this world that is but a vapor. Our linear extension or experience of time is just a blink of the eye in the scope of eternity. He has overcome this so that eternity can be spent with him in his presence, worshiping him forever and ever. And so if the answer to the question is no, Pastor Mark, that doesn't describe my experience at all, then I believe the good news is that it can. And if it can, it should Just because you found God doesn't mean you stop seeking Him. Maybe you've seen the little postcards or the the piece of art or whatever that says wise men still seek Him. We talk a lot about the wise men seeking Christ and going on this journey of thousands of miles when that took a long time and a lot of preparations. They came to worship the King and the idea that wise men still seek Him. That the wisest thing we can do is seek God. In fact, The wisest man who ever lived wrote it this way. He said, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It's the seeking of God, of his wisdom, of his ways, making his ways become our ways. That that's the wisest thing we can do is to seek him, to seek him, to seek him, to never stop seeking him, to seek more and more and more of his government and peace in our own lives. It takes a shift, a shift from, from focusing on my commitment to focusing on my surrender, surrendering myself, my will, to the will of God. It's a shift from an achievement mindset. I'm going to do this for God. I'm going to check the boxes. I'm going to make sure that I'm doing all the things that I'm supposed to do to more of a receiving mindset. We move from achieving to receiving. We move from attaining things for God to accepting His grace and responding to that with obedience, with surrender, with sacrifice. It means moving from an earning mindset where I'm going to earn my salvation. I have, to, I have to earn God's grace. I have to earn God's favor. To one that says, I will, I will work as a response to what has been given. I will obey as a response 
doesn't mean that we don't expend any effort anymore because we don't want to earn our salvation. We expend the effort because of what we have received, not in order to get more. And there's a little secret that's not quite a secret at all. The little secret is that the government precedes the peace. That when God's kingdom rules and reigns in our hearts, peace naturally follows that, even in the midst of difficulties. Every single person in this room can think of at least one person who's gone through absolutely devastating circumstances with a supernatural peace that nobody could explain apart from the presence of God in the midst of that storm because the government, the reign, the rule, the authority of the kingdom of heaven was reigning in their hearts when the circumstances shifted and the peace accompanied that. The peace follows the government. The peace follows the rule of God in our lives. And I think where we go astray is often we confuse happiness with wholeness. We confuse happiness with wholeness. Don't do this. Because if you start to pursue happiness apart from God, apart from his kingdom being the ruling force in your lives, there's no peace in that. There's no shalom, no wholeness, completeness. And the thing that's so interesting is if you seek the rule and reign of God first, his peace naturally accompanies that, and you've experienced the righteousness, peace, and joy of the kingdom of God in your lives as a natural output of the right input. But if we chase happiness, if we chase experiences, if we chase all the things that the world has to offer us to make us happy, we come up empty. And so the trick is to surrender, to surrender your life, to surrender your time, to surrender your talents, to surrender your resources and your future, all of it to God, to allow his kingdom to call the shots in your life, to allow his word, his ways, his will to be the deciding factor in your life, and his peace naturally follows that. And there will be an increase of his government and peace in your life that will know no end. And we experience his peace and his joy. And so I want to encourage you as you move through the next few days, as you think about Christmas, as you think about Christmas Eve, as you think about the giving and receiving of gifts, don't forget the gift that is available to you in Jesus Christ. Don't forget the gift that is available to you in the reign and rule of his kingdom in your heart, in your soul. And the peace that accompanies that. Next weekend, we're going to finish this series with a message titled, He's Still With Us. Even as you start to take the Christmas decorations down and put them away. And as you say goodbye to family and friends and they return home or you return home yourself. And it feels like Christmas is over. He's still with us. He's still there. He's still available. He's still with us. He's promised to be with us. So don't skip church next week in other words and then in a couple of weeks we're going to start a new series titled it's time to grow now i don't you don't do a lot of planting and growing in january but it's an ideal time 
for personal spiritual growth. It's an ideal time for individuals and corporations or churches to grow. These next couple of weeks following the new year, we're going to launch an annual theme on discipleship. We're going to be looking at discipleship from all different angles in the year 2020 and had a little fun because you got to. I mean, 2020, it's only going to happen once in our lifetime. So we're going to focus on discipleship for the whole year. And I hope you just get worn out on that. Because if you focus on discipleship for the year 2020 and you get closer to Jesus than you've ever been in your life, I'll make you a promise. 2020 will be the best year of your life. If you focus on your discipleship and or someone else's discipleship in 2020 and get closer to Jesus in the process, it will be the best year of your life. So I'm going to challenge you. And as you think about New Year's resolutions over the next uh, nine days here, I want to challenge you that one of your New Year's resolutions, your first and foremost New Year's resolution is to focus on discipleship for the full year. Focus on your own discipleship. If you've never been discipled, focus on your own discipleship and becoming a disciple, a follower, a learner, an apprentice of Jesus Christ. And if you have had that experience, if somebody has discipled you, if you have gone through discipleship and you would describe yourself as a disciple, one of the primary things that disciples do is they make other disciples. And so if you are a disciple, I want to challenge you to make one of your New Year's resolutions to focus on someone else's discipleship. Focus on discipling someone else. You don't have to fill their cup. You're going to hear me say this a thousand times in the next year. You don't have to fill their cup. You just have to empty yours. That's all God calls us to do in discipling someone else is to share what we have been given with another person in discipling them. And so we will focus on discipleship in the year ahead. But as we bring this all to a close and as we consider what's going to capture our attention in the next couple of days. I hope it's not presence. I hope it's not the trappings and traditions. I hope it's the gift. Because I'm not sure we fully realize what's been offered to us in the Christ of Christmas. This glorious reality that God is with us. And I heard it put this way recently. And it It touched my heart. So if you have children, imagine one of your children is sick. If you don't have children, imagine a child that you are particularly fond of. If you have grown children but you have grandchildren, think of one of your grandchildren. Think of a young child who's really, really sick and you've been to all the doctors and you've been all the different places and you've run test after test and you've waited for results and you've been referred to someone else or sent somewhere else. And you finally get to the foremost specialist in the world. And he does his own battery of tests and comes to report and says, there's one medicine combined with a procedure that will cure this disease and will save your child. And you feel that hope, that spark of hope. And you think, maybe, maybe the child's not going to die after all. And then he says, the cost is about $100 million, and it's experimental, so no insurance will cover it. And just like that, that spark is extinguished. Because you realize, not if you sold everything you had, not if you mortgaged everything you had, not if you asked every single person you know, could you ever receive $100 million. 
And if that doesn't describe you, I'd love to exchange information with you after the service. But as you start to accept the reality, he says, and there's one more thing. I'll take care of it. I'll do it for free. I'll pay for the medicine, and I'll provide the procedure free of charge. And in doing so, he would pay a price that you could never pay to give you a gift that you could never earn, purchase, or deserve. And that's what Christ has done for us. That's what Christ has done for each and every one of us in coming to earth, in being God with us, in bringing his light into the darkness of our lives apart from him, in being our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. In doing all of those things, he has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. He has given us a gift that we could never earn, purchase, or deserve. And the only thing he asks of us in return is that we would embrace it, that we would pursue it, that we would take it and share it with others. That's what he asks us to do with the gift that we have been given. He's always wanted us to have it. He's always wanted us to use it to empower us to move through life with a grace and a peace that are truly supernatural and then to share that with others as they take notice and ask us, how do you do that? How do you move through life like that? It's meant to illuminate the world around us. It's meant to be a gift that we share. And it's unique in that regard that as we share it, we get more of it. Grace and love and mercy coming from God are unique in that as you give them away, you get more. And the only way to get more is to give what you have away to someone else and then it automatically replenishes. And so as we close today, my prayer, as always, is that you will respond in faith that that if the Holy Spirit has laid someone on your heart, someone who has not opened the gift, that you would be an ambassador for Christ to, to plead with them one more time, to encourage them one more time to open the gift, to receive the gift. And if that describes you, if you haven't received the gift, if you haven't opened the gift, then may today, December 22nd, 2019, be the day of your salvation, the day that you opened the gift, the day that you initiated the government and peace of Christ increasing in your life without end. You can respond by making an altar where you're seated. You can respond by coming to one of these altars. If you come to the middle altars, you'll pray alone. If you come to the outside altar, someone will see that as an indication that you would like someone to put a hand on your shoulder to pray with you, to pray for you. You can intercede for someone or or make a request of your own uh, by, by rolling up a prayer request and putting it on the cross. However you choose to respond, just respond in faith, respond in belief, respond in relying upon or trusting in God in a new way. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. We thank you that the transmission does not change, that you are always transmitting your love, your grace, your mercy, that your word always speaks to us to illuminate our lives, to bring your rule and your reign and your royal power and your dominion into our lives, and that your peace, your shalom, your wholeness, completeness, harmony accompanies that. 
pray that it would be so for every person in this room, God, that, that we would receive the gift, receive it anew, or take up the mantle of sharing that gift with others. May we respond in faith to your word today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.